Hello, and welcome to the Frontline series of WeShare Podcasts, brought to you by WeShare Healthcare. WeShare Healthcare is a newly formed collaborative of not-for-profit NHS medical professionals with the aim of sharing innovation and best practice. My name is Ryan. I'm a final year medical student at Oxford University with an interest in how we can use innovation and tech to identify and overcome problems in healthcare. I'm really, really pleased to introduce Alina, who is the CEO and co-founder of Fibris, a clinical AI company that's been working tirelessly against respiratory disease and most recently against COVID-19. I've had the pleasure myself of doing some clinical work for Fibris, and so I'm really glad to have the opportunity to discuss and share your journey, Alina, so far um, with our listeners. So welcome, Alina, and thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. Thanks, Ryan. It's an absolute pleasure to be speaking to you today. So I think it's best to start with an overview about how Freebus has applied its products on the COVID frontline. Um, you know, where did you start and how did you go about implementing that? Mm. Yeah, so as, as a company, we, we've been focused on respiratory conditions uh, for the last three years. We actually got into this space from a global health perspective um, because we were passionate about solving the challenge of childhood pneumonia, uh, which happens to be the number one um, killer among the fives. Um, so initially, we were designing a platform that would allow community healthcare workers um, in India to detect conditions like pneumonia in a community setting and then make sure the children get treated um, on time. Um, then we quickly identified that elderly people um, in the UK have similar challenges in terms of um, delayed access to diagnosis, um, can lead to a lot of avoidable complications and then hospitalizations and have been working to really grow the technology to support carers and health assistants in community settings to um, monitor people regularly and identify different problems and then make sure that they don't exacerbate and become um, really you know, unavoidable hospitalizations. Um, so that, that was all pre-COVID. Um, then as, as the crisis emerged, Really what happened for us was um, the demand for the type of solution we have been developing accelerated because um, GPs were no longer um, able to visit care homes on a regular basis um, and they had to find other ways of monitoring the various conditions um, that these people with very complex comorbidities experience. Um, and that's, that's really what we offer. Um, so that's what we've, we've been able to do. We were very fortunate to win uh, Tech Force 19, which was a, an NHSX initiative. Um, and that kind of accelerated some um, deployment we did or have been doing in um, East London, where our technology um, is embedded in care home settings, is being used either by carers or health assistants or um, nurses if, if they have nursing staff. And what they do is they um, conduct checkups that take about 10 minutes. Um, all of that is driven by a very uh, minimalistic uh, mobile app um, that's very intuitive, picture-based, and it guides them through doing conventional observations like they used to, as well as more advanced measurements with um, small sensors like pulse oximeters, digital stethoscopes, thermometers, blood pressure cuffs. All of this is connected, so we minimize the time they need to take in terms of typing in numbers or worrying about um, the, the, the capture of the data. 
everything is automated. So within 10 to 15 minutes, they can reach a conclusion of whether someone is experiencing um, an exacerbation um, and whether they should contact um, the GP to discuss the case further. Yeah, that sounds great. So um, as you say, it's working to limit the, the time spent investigating and meaning that patients can get access to treatment a lot quicker um, and also limits unnecessary face-to-face contact in that you find patients that perhaps don't need escalation, you can move on to more um, to patients with more critical conditions. Have you, do you have any data about how it, or if it's limited um, the spread of COVID-19 in care homes? Yeah, that's, that's a challenging question. Um, and I, I wouldn't claim to know what the answer to that one is, um, to be honest. It, for us, um, also because of kind of the limited scale that we've been able to reach within uh, one or two months, it's difficult to generalize these findings. Um, but what we have been able to um, quantify and measure is the ability to deliver high quality care. Um, so focusing less at this stage on kind of large-scale health economics, more about the quality of care that GPs have been able to deliver during the pandemic. Because um, one of the things people uh, underestimate is the fact that you know all these elderly people didn't stop having all the other conditions they were having before. Yes, COVID arrived and some of them experienced COVID um, infections, but... On top of that, they were still suffering from COPD, asthma, you know, all the complex comorbidities um, that they normally had. Um, so what we, we focused on is facilitating as good of a quality of care as possible when that GP is no longer able to visit and also when a lot of these hospitalizations can't really happen in the current setting. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And you said, you know, you're targeting GP practices um, and care homes specifically. Um, quite a common idea or opinion that's been battered around the health tech and AI space quite a lot recently, including as part of our previous summits, which are all now viewable on YouTube, is that although uh, COVID has been terrible for so many, it has also provided the space and culture to innovate and embed rapidly, either in local trusts or um, nationwide and GPs and care homes, for example. Would you agree with this? And secondly, how has COVID allowed or forced you at Fibris to alter your patterns of um, product discovery and implementation, if at all? Um, and mm. how have you used it as an opportunity to innovate, as you've come to touch on already? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good question. Um, what I would say is that COVID has definitely accelerated a transformation process that was unavoidable um, and in a, lot of, in a lot of ways was happening. Um, it just became terribly urgent. Um, and the one thing I would be cautious to do is in any way um, kind of give people the impression that that process is finished uh, because transforming our healthcare um, takes a long time and for all of this wonderful innovation um, that kind of got integrated at the back of um, the pandemic to really make long-term create long-term change um, there is a lot of um, work, work, workflow transformation, um, diagnostic pathway transformation, uh, workforce transformation that needs to happen for this to be um, kind of long-term embedded. Um, so for everything that's happening, I would say work in progress. Um, what that has meant for us is um, that prior to COVID, we were extremely focused on upskilling and really task shifting this proactive regular monitoring to a community setting. And a lot of our product development was focused on the user there. Um, So be it a carer, health assistant, nurse, um, whoever that is. What we've seen through the pandemic is that because GPs 
uh, were physically unable to um, attend and visit these places uh, in person. Um, a whole new kind of pool of needs emerged uh, for our technology to also provide decision support tools for the doing remote triage and remote monitoring of long-term conditions. Um, and that's a really kind of uh, tricky and long-term balancing act where, yes, there is a lot of decision support that needs to be done for community users, but equally there is a lot of decision support that needs to be done for primary care um, that's now seeing a lot of data that they didn't see before and now has to make clinical decisions at the back of this data. Um, so a lot of development uh, we've been putting in is focused on that. Okay, and, and you said it's a work in progress. I imagine there's you know, a lot of challenges involved in that. Was there one that stands out in your mind as being particularly challenging? Yeah, a couple of challenges, I would say. <laughs> there is a logistical challenge um, that we've, we've, we've had, um, unfortunately, have been able to overcome, which is um, operationalizing deployments in these very challenging settings entirely remotely. Um, you know, uh, shipping kits, then training users, uh, making sure that everyone is um, implementing this new process in the right way. Um, that, that's quite difficult. If you can go and visit, it's even more difficult when you have to do everything remotely. Uh, but we've, we've evolved, we've digitized all our process, um, training materials and so on. So um, that's kind of been, a, I think, a good learning experience. Um, the longer term um, challenge that we are focusing on at the moment is really figuring out how that uh, monitoring pathway is going to evolve with time. Um, it's kind of been ad hoc and driven by emergency when, when GPs had to um, figure out how to monitor people remotely. But moving forward, that, that's something that's going to stay um, and it's, it's going to transform primary care more holistically. Um, and for us, that could mean a whole range of opportunities. Um, you know, how, how do we how do we synthesize a lot of the insights we are able to capture in a community setting to then highlight the most urgent problems to the GP? Um, that, that's something that we're working really closely with primary care on at the moment. Yeah, and I guess it sort of pulls in so many teams and it's, it's always going to be multidisciplinary. It's always going to involve clinical teams and AI teams. And um, well, from your experience, how should a trust or unit um, in the healthcare system that hasn't yet adopted your idea, um, so as a care home that, um, wants to implement it with its local GP practice. How would you how would you advise that they go about implementing your solution um, to help their patients or particularly their COVID nineteen patients? Mm. Yeah, very good question. Um, I think one of the big lessons um, that we and others have had um, through um, the pandemic is that there is a big gap that needs to be filled in, not just with innovation, but with very structured change management. Uh, because tech is never a solution in isolation. Whenever you introduce something novel, as good or bad as it is, um, there is a whole process of workforce training or retraining, um, restructuring of workflows that needs to happen. Um, and that's as crucial as the quality of the technology uh, that you're introducing. Um, so one, one of the things that we've been really learning from our users on is what, what that looks like in a care home. Um, what does it look like if you have a 20-bed care home versus a 100-bed care home and you're now suddenly talking about weekly virtual rounds? Um, 
is it as simple as just telling them here's the tech and you can do virtual weekly rounds with it or is there a level of training or an upskilling that the individual users need to go through management needs to go through how do you support them in uh, gradually transitioning to that schedule um, all, all of that um, is something we're very keen to support and have been trying to support but at the end of the day um, needs to be kind of um, driven and governed by um, clinical commissioners. Yeah, definitely. It's very important. It is regulated. Um, and if I could, you know, hypothetically speaking, take away all that change management and logistics and the sort of gradual aspect of implementing your solution. And if I had sort of a magic wand that could generate a world or a healthcare system that in your eyes and Fibris's eyes would be perfectly suited to implementing your solution, your algorithms for COVID-19, what would that look like? Mm, good question. Um, I mean, it, putting our solution aside, I think just generally um, the, the, the thing that would, would make, would have made a difference and would make a difference moving forward is really transitioning towards a proactive and truly integrated health system. And in the UK, we have been working on this for a long time and there's a lot of wonderful progress being made, um, but we're still not at a place where you know, the right information is reaching the right people at the right time, effectively. That's what we want to get to in, in, in healthcare, particularly when it comes to really complex cases like elderly people in, in care homes, uh, where really should be a multidisciplinary team um, that um, gets called upon depending on how severe the issue is, what type of issue um, someone is experiencing. And building up that chain of communication and integration of process um, is something that's going to happen inevitably, um, but it's the only way we prevent um, future crises like the one we are experiencing at the moment. Yeah, and and the NHS, I guess, is you know one of its merits or one of its many merits is that it's, it is a centralised system and that it is one step closer to that integrated healthcare system as many mm. other um, or compared to many other healthcare systems from across the world. Um, you know, and we're lucky in that sense that we're able to collate masses of data through electronic patient records and things like that. And we're increasingly seeing similar pools of COVID-related data arising in the private sector as well. Um, for example, with Vibris for use in AI and machine learning. Um, is that what's the scope for collaboration here? Um, do you think there's any any possibility of collaborating with the private sector and uh, you know provide compliance with GDPR? Absolutely, yes, I think. And that's, in, um, in our opinion, that's the only way to truly evolve innovation and make sure that innovation meets the needs of the health system um, by having a very um, deeply embedded collaborative process during the research and development of that technology. Um, so what that means from our perspective is we, we capture very unique data um, through our checkup process that's rich in different um, digital biomarkers um, that we can quantify and identify um, their correlation with different conditions um, or long-term deteriorations. Uh, but all of this only makes sense if it's, if you wish, calibrated against the needs of the health system. Um, so practically what that means for us is having access to um, healthcare outcomes, things like overall diagnosis, what happened to a patient, did they end up getting hospitalized, for what reasons, um, but also more, more kind of granular things like being able to um, correlate some of the digital biomarkers that we find to um, clinical labels that um, the clinical community is familiar with. Um, so the AI moves away from being a black box to something that 
creates a lot of context around the clinical evidence base that we already have in place. Um, and kind of the, for me, the overarching opportunity in this is um, augmented learning. I'm not really keen on artificial intelligence per se um, as kind of a standalone separate box that sits um, outside the clinical practice. What we're trying to achieve is augment all the wonderful clinical practice that we do have within the NHS and en enrich um, a doctor's ability to um, triage and detect conditions early on. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that, I think that, that's the um, collaborative opportunity in place. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. Um, and other than healthcare out outcomes and more data, what does Fibrous currently need in order to progress from where it is now, do you think? Mm. Yeah, I mean, on the, on the um, uh, kind of clinical collaboration side, um, we are definitely looking for more clinical partners um, to advance the AI, um, both uh, practicing clinicians um, in different settings where we can add um, value and also evolve our capabilities alongside their needs. Uh, but also that extends to um, young doctors or about to be doctors, um, so med medical students that are about to finish, um, because that whole concept of augmented learning um, is, is something we're actively working on. Um, and we're really passionate about creating opportunities for both young do doctors to learn, but also drive the evolution of the AI um, so that when, when they um, come to lead in their, in their profession, um, they actually have tools that they participated in creating um, and they're confident that the tools they have um, directly respond to their needs. So clinical partners, definitely one. Um, then um, really what we're looking for is um, CCG and ICS um, adoption, um, so clinical commissioners and integrated care systems. Um, so any, any commissioners looking at um, kind of connecting the dots between um, community healthcare, particularly in care and nursing homes um, and uh, primary care. Um, that, that's kind of the piece that we've been working on and have um, now a growing evidence based on impact for. And um, the final thing is just partners on the care home side, um, particularly sites that, that feel like um, they want to transition to, to this new norm of uh, monitoring their, their residents um, and need the technical support for that. That, that. That's what we're here for. And I just want to bring you back to that first point where you, about med students coming into this new era of healthcare um, and mm -hmm. the way that we approach care has completely changed and will be completely changed forever. Launching from that, how do you see the future of your product or service uh, at Fibris post-COVID-19? Um, I think we, we kind of been fortunate enough um, in the sense that COVID for us hasn't been a blip. We've always tried to build um, the same product, which is technology that facilitates integrated care in a community setting and technology that now enables um, physicians to digest the large volume of data that can be captured in a community setting and translate it into actionable insights. So that, that hasn't really changed for us. I think what COVID has done is just really emphasize the importance of um, integration and how this all can only work if we connect the dots. So if, if the information we're capturing is also plugging into, let's say, regulation on virtual ward rounds, or if it's plugging into 
um, video consultations that the GPs are um, conducting with, with the care homes. Um, so for us, the, the, the main kind of les lesson and moving forward, the main goal is really embedding our technology in a way that facilitates that integration. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for those final thoughts. Um, I think that's as good a point as any as to wrap things up. Again, thank you so much for agreeing to talk, Alina. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Bye. We are WeShare.Healthcare. Share big, share quick, share now.